Welcome to the Goggles On podcast from the Journal of Emerging Investigators. Today, my guest is Dr. Sarah Fankhauser, one of the founders of JEI. Dr. Fankhauser is an associate professor of biology. She received her BS in biology from Georgia Institute of Tech Technology in 2007. She received her PhD in microbiology and immunobiology from Harvard University in 2013. And she started with Oxford College in the fall of 2015. Born and raised in Georgia, she enjoys spending time with her husband and daughter. And in her free time, she works to improve K through 12 science education through the nonprofit she started, the Journal of Emerging Investigators. Dr. Fankhauser, thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here and excited to talk about JEI. I am too. So why did you start JEI? Yeah, so um, you had to put dates into my biography. So thanks a lot for that. So um, (laughs) that explains just how long JEI has been around, actually. Um, So um, you mentioned that I got my... um, my BS in 2007, that same year, I started um, my graduate work at Harvard University and um, spent a lot of time, a lot of my free time while I was in Boston um, uh, doing like small after school science programs um, with local kids, as well as um, judging local science fairs. So, you know, I'm a, a total nerd because that's how I decided to spend my <laughs> time. Um, and uh, it was always fascinating to see the research and the experiments that these young kids were doing. Like they were doing really impressive things. I was like, they should be doing their PhD, not me. Um, and it was also kind of sad though, because at the end of science fair, a lot of the students who didn't necessarily move on to the next level their projects just ended up in the trash. Um, and I just felt like ugh, such a disservice to all of the hard work that they put in um, to these projects for months. I mean, it's not just about that science fair board. It's about all of the work, all the thinking, the manual work of, of doing these experiments, the analysis that went into these projects to be displayed for a few hours and then to end up in the trash. And I was just so sad by that. And, you know, of course, if you spent time, um, like I did going to science fairs and you got to see them, but most of the public does not do that. Um, And so I started to think, well, what are the ways that we can share this amazing research from these students in a broader way, um, in a way that will live on beyond the life of their projects? Um, And what's another way that they can connect with a community of scientists? So um, the nice thing about the science fair is that they're there with other students who are doing science um, and they've found their community, but that community is short-lived. And so all of these thoughts were going through my head um, and this was around 2009, 2010. And I thought, you know, as a scientist, what do I value? How do I share my work with other scientists and how do I establish that community? Um, And it's really through publishing my scientific findings in what we call the primary literature. 
Um, and so through this, I get to share my work with other scientists. And importantly, I get feedback on my science from other scientists in the field. So people who are experts. Um, and it really helps to improve my own way of thinking and helps to improve how I'm talking about my science and maybe how I'm interpreting my data. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to have a science journal that's dedicated to um, peer reviewing and publishing the work of these young scientists, so middle school and high school scientists. Um, and I looked around and I couldn't really find anything that fit my criteria, like what I was really envisioning. And so what I was really envisioning is that this is not just, um, this is, this is not just a platform to get your work out there. This is a way to really get meaningful feedback, to feel like you and, and to know that your ideas are valued by other scientists and then to eventually publish your work so that other young scientists can read and become inspired by it. Um, and so um, I didn't see what I was looking for. And I went to my fellow graduate students who were also at Harvard. And each week we did um, a weekly journal club where we came together and talked about different journal articles. And in one of those meetings, I said, you know, um, by the way, I have this idea about starting a journal for middle school and high school students. What do you think? And immediately they were on board, like every single one of them. Um, and that was really how JEI started. Um, and we came together um, on a weekly basis and kind of just talked like, okay, well, none of us have actually um, been a part of publication before. We've never been in an editorial team. We've never worked for a professional journal, but here's how we think it works. Um, and so we put it together just like that. Like we think that this would be the right pipeline. Um, we think that our website needs to look like this. We think that um, we could structure editorial board like this. Um, and it was really one giant experiment um, as we were um, troubleshooting how to organize JEI um, in its early days. So how many people, just as an estimate, were involved in that in the beginning? I would say about 15 of us um, were really consistently involved. And Lincoln Pasquina, who is also one of our board members, is a founding member of JEI. And he and Chris Wells, who is also a founding member, they were our first editors-in-chief. And so they did a lot of the legwork in terms of building the editorial review process of saying, okay, well, when students submit a paper, what's going to happen next? Um, okay, well, we have to send it out for review. We have to submit, find other scientists who can provide them kind but constructive feedback. Um, and so they really put all of that work into building that system and making sure that the reviewers were trained and could give kind and constructive feedback, not... Um, Nothing, no feedback that would discourage anyone from continuing in science. How did you find the first paper? How did that, where did that student come from, if you remember, or oh, I remember. what did you have to do to get it submitted? This is very interesting. Okay, so um, we started JEI, and I remember we launched our website, and it was a very slow process to gain interest in JEI. And it will, it just took a lot of boots on the ground kind of efforts of me literally calling teachers, biology teachers or science teachers and saying, Hey, 
if your students are doing research, you should check out this new journal that's never published before, but we're really excited to publish. Um, and so you can imagine that it, you know, there was lukewarm interest at the start. And um, me, like, let, I just have to continually reiterate what a nerd I am. Um, but because of that, I still keep in touch with my high school biology professor or biology teachers. Um, Dr. Patel and Dr. McCoy, who are from North Cobb High School in Kennesaw, Georgia, <laughs> they're literally the best teachers ever. They have really just been so instrumental in my own biology trajectory. Um, and I emailed them and I said, hey, I started, I, my friends and I started this journal. If you have any students who are doing research, will you encourage them to submit to JEI? And so the first students who submitted and got published one, um, well, two submitted, but they didn't publish till later. But the first student who got published, her name is Sarah Guile. And she wrote a paper about, it, it was more of a psychology-based paper of um, birth order and GPA. Uh, and she is now in graduates, a psychology graduate program. Um, I can't remember which graduate school, um, but she and I emailed back and forth um, earlier this year. So um, she's definitely um, committed to the science route right now. And that was in 2011? Yes, 2011, her paper okay. was published, yep. That's incredible. So since that first paper, um, you know, how has your dream changed for the journal over time? Uh, as you've seen more published each year, you've there's more reviewers, there's a huge network nationwide of mm -hmm. reviewers. And, and actually you've relinquished quite a bit of involvement and control, even though you're serving as a board member. So how, you know, how has that, that dream changed from the original one or is it still exactly the same? I'll say um, there is a saying in my family and it's ready, fire, aim. So my family and I'm, I'm definitely part of this. We have a tendency to jump on ideas and not necessarily have a full-fledged vision for what that idea will be. And I would say that that is definitely true for JEI. Um, I had this initial just seed of an idea and I wasn't really sure what I expected it to become, but I don't think I ever envisioned it being its own functioning nonprofit and to have expanded beyond just publication. So publication is the core of what we do, uh, but there are so many um, other things that have that we have built because of this publication. We, we realized early on in JI that um, a lot of teachers and students just don't have an understanding of what the primary literature is. So now we have a lot of curriculum that we've built to help kind of just lay those foundational steps of what the primary literature is. We do workshops um, and teacher professional development, which I never like in a million years would have thought I would get involved in. Um, and then I would say something that has really shocked me, but in a very positive way. It's just the impact of JEI on the volunteers that this process of um, publication isn't just beneficial for the students who are publishing their papers, but also the graduate students who are serving as reviewers and editors because they're getting experience that they otherwise wouldn't get until 
they were beyond graduation, beyond their PhD. Um, and so myself, I never got professional experience in publication until I was an assistant professor. Um, but when I became a, an assistant professor and I was asked to review articles and to join editorial boards, I had this really clear understanding of what that meant because of the work with JEI. And I think other editors and reviewers are experiencing the same thing that even though we're providing feedback to middle and high school students, that process of providing feedback and managing um, just the multiple requests and, and how to synthesize feedback that is super relevant to kind of the professional publication business. So when a student submits a paper, they've put all this time and energy into it. They've worked with their teacher, maybe their parents. Um, they've done a ton of research. It could be a group that's had to come together on ideas and all the, the things that, that you, you, know, you have in place there. They submit that paper, they send it off, and it, it goes to the editor-in-chief who then disseminates it to a group of reviewers. Mm -hmm. Is that all correct? Um, so I think it goes to an associate editor who okay. then looks at the paper and says, oh, this is on microbiology. I'm going to send it to three or four microbiologists that I know. Yeah. And, and when they get that paper, their job is to follow the process that JEI has in place mm -hmm. uh, in terms of reviewing it. But what are some of the things they do or do not do when they provide that mentoring experience back to the student? So what do the um, reviewers do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one, the job of the reviewer is to be partial cheerleader and partial educator. Um, and I know this one because I've helped build kind of the reviewer expectations in the early JEI days, but two, because I still serve as a JEI reviewer and I have um, finally passed the reviewer quiz that was mandatory. Um, so I'm very proud of that. So it's a tough quiz, huh? It of course <laughs> encourages, strongly encourages you to read the um, handbook in detail. Um, so, so in terms of cheerleading, you know, our, the goal of JEI is, one of the goals of JEI is to really support young scientists and make it known that their ideas are valuable and that they belong in science. Whether or not they, you know, continue on a professional scientific track, that doesn't really matter, but we want them to feel like they, this is a place where they can belong. Um, so, um, it's always, here are the positives. Here's what you did really well with your article. Here's what you should continue to do. And then the constructive feedback is, um, there, there are two forms of feedback. One is just the, the presentation. So how are you talking about your science and are you clearly communicating the main ideas so that another scientist who is in middle or high school can understand you, um, so for example, um, a lot of students feel like they have to talk very fancy, like they have to use lots of big words and jargon and really complex sentences. And if I have to spend like five minutes trying to deconstruct a sentence, it's like, mm -mm, nope, you gotta, you know, put some periods in somewhere. Um, so they should really be writing for their peers. Right. Yes. Not for adults, not for 
professionals, not for people who have been in industry as scientists for 10 years. They're really writing for their their own, you know, their their sixth grade class or their seventh grade class or eighth grade class or the people that are close to them in age. Exactly. Because we want other students to read the articles and become inspired by them. And if the other students can't understand the article, there's not going to be any inspiration happening. So that's a really important point, I think, for um, teachers and students, because I think that, like you said, there's a strong desire to, to publish something that is just a masterpiece mm-hmm. and, um, and and even go above and beyond their own age or their own grade. Yeah. And yeah, and that's not we're, we're not looking to just publish the best, you know, coolest sounding science. It's does it sound clear and understandable? And does it make sense? And that's the other side of the feedback that reviewers give is the scientific feedback of does your hypothesis make sense? Did you set up the experiments in a very sound way? Are you really interpreting your data correctly based on your experimental setup and and, um, providing um, conclusions that are really aligned to the results? So often, and maybe not so much anymore, but I, I feel like I've reviewed several papers where the conclusions are, are very grand and that's not the point of science. And that's not necessary for publication. It's not that you have to have this huge impact on the world, but what are those small kind of meaningful conclusions that really make sense given the data? Um, and just getting the students to realize that even small conclusions are very valuable. So what would you say to a student who wants to submit something, maybe doesn't have a lot of support from their local school, and maybe doesn't have support from their parents, maybe their parents have never helped them with something like this, and they're not sure you know, how to help them. Um, what would you tell them? What steps should they take to try to do it anyway? Because an adult has to be involved in the process. Right. So I would say step one is to go to the JEI website and in particular, the Ask a Scientist um, webpage. And I think that um, simply asking those questions to the Ask a Scientist portal could be really helpful because that's where students can get that individual one-on-one feedback from a scientist in their field. Um, And I'm on the Ask a Scientist um, email chat. So I see all the requests and responses as they come in. Um, And I will say that the JEI volunteers who run Ask a Scientist are very dedicated to giving thorough feedback and trying to help students who, in whatever struggle they're having, whether it's um, kind of designing a project idea, trying to figure out an alternative method, maybe. So um, sometimes students will have one method in mind, but maybe they can't find a reagent or it's too expensive. And um, the Ask a Scientist scientists can help kind of find different alternative methods um, or help with interpreting data. So I I would say that would be the first step. That's really good advice because um, as as we know, sometimes students have more access to things in different communities than maybe some others. Absolutely. And to be able to, to have that free service 
is really helpful. Do you have suggestions for science teachers on how to integrate the peer review process, uh, peer review and publication process into yeah. their curriculum? Like what if some of the teachers said they, they do that works well for them? So one, I would say, take baby steps. Um, it's not going from zero to, I want my students to publish. Um, I think step one is making sure students have a really solid understanding of what the primary literature is and why it's even important to the work that scientists do. And on our website in the resource tab, we actually have um, some class activities that help with those first steps of introducing students to what the primary literature is and why it's important. Um, we have something called the article scavenger hunt, and you could take any science article and help do this class activity called the scavenger hunt to help students just recognize that science articles aren't these super scary things. They're very formulaic. And once you understand the formula, they're, they're much easier to understand going forward. Um, and then it's okay, well, what's the next step? The next step might be to incorporate JEI articles to maybe teach con content um, or complement the content that you're doing in class. Um, and so I've had teachers who, if they're doing um, something on environmental science, they'll just type in environmental science into the article um, search bar of the JEI website and pull relevant articles for the students to do. Um, and we have uh, curriculum and activities that provide suggestions on how to set up something like a gallery walk, um, which if you're a teacher, you probably know that what that word is. Um, but for others, it's um, kind of setting up different stations where at each station students might do you know, one specific task and then build on that task as they go through the different stations. Um, and then it's, okay, then what's the next step? Now that the students know what the primary literature is, they've, they've read it and maybe used it in some form or fashion, then they can think about um, really putting together a primary paper based on their own research. Um, I would say that the most successful ways we've seen this is to incorporate the writing process into the research process. So if students are doing a science fair project or if a teacher is teaching some sort of research-based class, um, to have the, the sections of the paper and the writing of those sections built into the curriculum. So, you know, week one, we're designing experiments for our, um, our class investigation. Maybe this is the week we'll also be writing the method section. Um, and so I guess that would be my long-winded explanation of how to get involved. I would say maybe a short answer would be if any teacher um, wants to, they're more than welcome to reach out to me because I really enjoy talking one-on-one -on -one with teachers. So. I think what you're really saying, though, is that this isn't about creating a new experiment or, or, or it's about using the JEI process already with the curriculum that they're teaching. And oh, the, absolutely. Yeah. The experiences that the students are already doing, whether it's a science fair project or it's or it's an in-class project, this is to enhance and develop their writing skills and their skills as a, as a young scientist. Exactly. And I think 
perhaps this might get a little too academic, but helping students recognize the value of writing in doing science is really important. For myself as a scientist, I learn a lot in the process of science. I make connections that I um, otherwise would not have made if I was not writing about my science. And I think um, in my own research of JEI student authors, I see the same thing, that the students who are involved with JEI are developing these skills of, of um, and better understanding of what scientists actually do and how the science process actually works. So for students who are have some free time in their summer, they can participate in a mini PhD program. Um, can you give us just a brief a brief overview of how this was started and, and what they can expect from it? Yeah, so the mini PhD uh, camp was started actually very for the very reason that we just mentioned is that um, it's really important to combine reading and writing with actually doing scientific experiments. So um, we wanted to build a camp that would fully integrate these processes and allow students from all over the country um, access and one-on-one -on -one mentorship to the publication process. Um, and so for student, like you just talked about students who may not have support in their local communities, the mini PhD camp is a great way um, to get involved with JEI and have that built-in mentorship. And so the students who partake in this camp um, go through um, setting up and designing and running the experiments week to week. Um, and during those weeks, there's also dedicated time to writing the manuscript and the, the paper that they'll hopefully eventually um, submit to JEI and just learning about how to read scientific articles, how to construct them, how to analyze them. Um, and so it's a very integrated uh, camp for the students. And it's run entirely by the JEI um, volunteers who are graduate students and postdocs in um, a scientific field. So it's Women's History Month and you're a scientist. You have spent a, a tremendous amount of time uh, in your education and, and developing your skills as a, an educator and um, someone who works in the field. What, what advice do you have for someone who's in middle school or high school and trying to figure out, you know, what their career might be? They have an interest in science and, um, you know, what, what steps did you take or, or what did you do to push yourself to, um, to really achieve the things that you have? Yeah, that is such a good question. And I would say um, the, my first part of the answer would be that um, my advice to young people is that when you are looking at a career you aspire to achieve, and if you don't see someone in that career that looks like you or has the same life values as you or whatever, don't let that deter you. Um, and that I, I often um, hear from young people, well, scientists are boring. They uh, spend all their time alone in a lab and they're all nerdy and I don't want that. And I'm like, well, 
that's not, that's not the scientist I know. Actually, why um, I love science so much is that I think that the people in science are just the most creative, fun, um, crazy people I know. Um, but for whatever reason, and I think, you know, the TV is probably um, to blame for some of this, is that we have this stereotype in our head of what a scientist should be. Um, but that doesn't have to, to be. Um, and, and so that would be my advice to young people is that when you are looking at that career, don't let this, the stereotype deter you. And I'll also say that my seven-year-old daughter comes home very often says, well, I'm a scientist because I asked a question today. And I said, and I always say, yeah, exactly. You are a scientist. If you're asking and answering your own questions, that's really, you know, one of the main criteria to being a scientist. Um, and then your other part of the question was, you know, what motivated me? And for me, it's always, I want to know more. Um, and I have this weird desire to know how things work down to the molecular level that I just cannot ever satisfy. And so that's what really drives me in my own research. Um, and certainly what kept me motivated while I was doing my PhD is that I just wanted to know the answer. And it wasn't that I wanted to know an answer so that I would get notoriety. It's just, I wanted to know the answer for myself and to be able to say, okay, I know this now and I can move on. Um, but there's always another question and there's always another thing that I want to know. Um, so I don't think I'll ever stop with that desire of wanting to know more. Um, and I will say, like I um, just mentioned that it's really nice to be in a community of people who kind of have the same thing, that they understand this drive to want to know more. Um, and there are really creative ways of figuring out those answers. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Goggles On podcast from the Journal of Emerging Investigators. Dr. Sarah Fankhauser, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today.